everyone, and welcome to Millennium Live, our digital diary podcast. We sit down with the top C-suite executives and talk all things digital transformation. If you've been following along with the Millennium Alliance over the past few years, you know we're a big fan of Raoul Dubay. He sat on our advisory board since the beginning and has been an asset both on-site and behind the scenes to help with cutting-edge healthcare content. He is now founder and CEO of Personal Health Innovations and previously founded the AHIP Innovation Lounge. Listen in to hear where he thinks healthcare is headed. Hello, everyone. We are here today in the New York office, and I am sitting here with Raul Dubay. He Hi. is, first off, a Millennium Alliance Advisory Board member. Grateful for that. Uh, but he officially goes by founder and CEO of Personal Health Innovations. So thank you for coming to New York and, and chatting with us today. Thank you. Appreciate it. It's an honor to be here and always fun to come in and visit the office as an advisory board member and see some familiar faces and see them hard at work, which is great. So tell us about yourself and also your company, Personal Health Innovations. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been a good run in healthcare for me for the last nine years. Um, started off in the healthcare space at a company called Wiser Together, which was a startup in Washington, D.C. was one of the founding employees there. Uh, first ever consumer-led, consumer-driven decision support platform that they could go in into healthcare and kind of see their conditions and make the best choices based on that. So kind of clinical decision support for consumers, so kind of turning the tides a little bit. And that was kind of my first jump into healthcare. And from there, it kind of expanded in the startup role, you have to know almost be the jack of all trades and kind of anywhere from shipping FedEx boxes to term sheets and closing VC rounds and, and things like that. So that kind of catapulted me into to uh, a bigger role within America's health insurance plans, AHIP, where I was the chief innovation officer there. And this is just uh, personal health innovations is kind of a spinoff from that. We were working with the plans and integrated delivery networks to really focus on their stated need, their problems in the marketplace. And because of the success of that, rather than assuming what the market needs, like I was in my startup role saying, hey, consumer decision support, you need that. It was more kind of with the access and being able to be transparent with the C-suite to really ask them what's keeping you up at night. And that was really the kind of changing of the, the, the guard there where the transparency rather than let's see your best pitch was kind of like these are the problems that I have. These are the challenges that we're facing going into the complexity of the Affordable Care Act, value-based care. And I wanted to continue that. And so Personal Health Innovations is working with 18 different insurance companies, payers, hospitals, integrated delivery networks, as well as some best-in-breed solution providers um, that I'm able to, to kind of become a thought leader with and kind of help them transform internally in their organizations as well as the marketplace as well. So it's been a great run for close to a year now and, and very excited. And, and I get to keep my, my post as an advisory board member at Millennium Alliance, which is great. There you go. So healthcare hasn't really been in your DNA. It kind of just came along and came at a good time. <laughs> Business strategy has always kind of been in my, my DNA. And I've worked with some amazing people and, and they kind of ventured into healthcare first. And, and as they were in beta stealth mode in the startup phase, um, I knew some rumblings about what they were doing and the challenges in healthcare, but I wasn't aware of the healthcare industry and the challenges that on a macro level as well as a micro level. So when they came to recruit me, which was a dinner amongst friends, I really got to see, kind of pull back the curtain and see what the challenges were, the astronomical spend, the inefficiencies, the the lack of desired outcomes. I know myself and my stories, what got me was the fact that I, I continue to go to the doctor and feel sick or I had tendonitis at the time, 
and my ankle and it wasn't getting better and it was cortisone shots and ibuprofen and keep going back to the podiatrist and that was not something that I enjoyed doing especially when I wasn't getting better and so that's what I saw was happening is that when you asked yourself, yourself that question of how are we engaging in healthcare as a consumer and everyone is right it's it's healthcare and taxes I mean it's death and taxes but it's healthcare <laughs> and taxes and so everyone's a consumer so what I really wanted to focus on what got my attention was taking that to the the enterprise level the institutional level and saying we're all consumers of care or we know someone who's gone through that what has their experience been you know I ask CEOs as there's this generational shift in this older generation of CEOs that are out there that are starting to have medical procedures and they're coming back and they're saying oh my god it was terrible if I didn't know the c-suite of this hospital I would have stayed in the waiting room for Hours, right? And so they're able to, their access is to be able to have that call. My access is to be able to have that call, right? So it's really becoming something that is, I believe, should be a, a human right to this kind of the haves and the haves not. And something like healthcare is not something that I'm absolutely going to be able to to sit back and watch that happen to the haves and haves on. I think yeah. it's we should serve everyone equally. If there should be some sort of democratic service available, it should be healthcare. Well, fingers crossed on that. Yes, yes. (laughs) So it sounds like with your company now, you're seeing all aspects of it. You're seeing the provider side, the payer side, the solution provider side. So, you know, we're halfway through 2019 right now. Mm -hmm. Is there a certain technology or or a trend that we're focusing on, that we should be focusing on going into the new year? What are we looking at here? (laughs) Wow. Broad question. Uh, Broad broad (laughs) question, but a very good one. Let me give you kind of my my greatest hits here in in terms of what I've seen. And it's a little bit carryover. the decision-making process and what's on the priority list for some of these companies is very cyclical is what I'm finding. So being nine years in healthcare, I'm seeing when I came in, it was cost transparency, cost transparency. With the onus being on the payer side when it first came through, and now you're seeing cost transparency and it's coming from the hospital side. And so because of that multi-stakeholder, multi-institutional that we've been able to set up at Personal Health Innovations and, and previously at the AHIP Innovation Lab is understanding that aspect of seeing, wait a second, guys, I know we're focused on the cost transparency on the provider side, but there's some great work we did for four or five years on the payer side, and it's eye-opening to them. They're saying, wait a second, we didn't even know the payers were in cost transparency. And it was like, yeah, it was mandated to us. So trying to figure out that cost transparency and what stakeholder, if if it's one or if it's many, that is really going to own that. And, and almost I would love to see one market come up with like a racy chart around a plan of attack for this of like who's responsible, accountable, communicated and informed. And if we can do that in one market, I think we can actually kind of scale that out. I think everyone is still as much as we've been collaborating around value-based care and digital transformation, I think we're still nowhere near where we can be in terms of relationship innovation, mm-hmm. uh, trust, those are major issues. Trust with in institutions, payer, provider, pharma, med tech, but also trust of the patient and their family members too. And I think we're really missing a gap there. And I think that's the, the second thing we need to focus on is that consumer experience. Right. I know that the, the times are hard. I know that there's consolidation that's going on in the marketplace. There's a lot of realignment and restructuring is something I hear over and over again within these organizations. I know that's very, very hard. But if we don't start focusing, and I'm not saying anything new, I just haven't seen that much progress to um, just consumerism in healthcare in the everyday tasks, such as making appointments, such as being able to pay your bill, being able to check your bill, being able to reorder online. In this day and age, 
I mean, it's it's amazing to me. I lost my wallet earlier this week, and I've been getting around without any cards or anything, <laughs> just based on electronic. Mm-hmm. And in healthcare, it's almost like the phone and electronic is rendered obsolete. Like, check your phone at the door when you come in because here's your clipboard. And I think that that needs to change. There was this very, very ramped up level in terms of consumerism for a while. Um, and everyone was moving toward that in terms of strategy. And now I'm starting to see a little bit more tightening of the belt on risk. Let's get back to the traditional aspect of risk. Let's see who owns the risk. And then I'm also seeing a little bit of people in, in a holding pattern. Um, election year, policy, a lot of things are coming out that are great out of CMS. But it's almost like, okay, let's wait and see. And that happens in kind of very complex sectors that are run by government where you're kind of looking for the go-ahead, the green light based on that. But that really slows innovation, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't meet the, the demands of the market or of the companies themselves, of shareholder value, but also of the consumers. And what we're trying to do is instead of focusing on shareholder value and, and, and revenue completely, I think that there's a way that we can focus on that and actually make even more money with adherence, with more customer experience, satisfaction, and actually getting the desired outcomes that all of us want. That's mm-hmm. been pretty amazing to me, too, is this final trend that I'm seeing is that across the ecosystem, there are people and teams and clusters within these massive organizations that want to drive the transformation. And I've been fortunate enough to be able to kind of find some of those people and then connect them with the other ones that are there so we can, at a payer, at a retail pharmacy, at a pharmaceutical company, to get that kind of alignment in place. So that trend is starting to pick up. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has me very excited. It's It's gone to meaningful dialogues as well as a lot of success in improving out proof of concepts um, and showing hard ROI on those as well. So that's been the light exciting. at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. Very, very exciting <laughs> around that. So. so I want to switch gears for a second. You know, there have been a lot of major healthcare mergers that have been going on as well as the impact of big tech joining the industry. So is this a trend that's going to continue? What are your thoughts on that? Um, and, and who is going to have the biggest impact on this? Yeah, I think the... The trend of merger acquisition is, is going to continue. Uh, I, as long as cash is cheap, and it is in the global market, it's almost, if you look at the numbers, it, it makes perfect sense for them to, to gobble up the tier two, tier threes that are out there. Okay, that makes sense on a business side. On a consumerism side, it I, I think it's a little detrimental. Mm. Um, I've seen certain markets where there has been a tier one and a tier 1.5 kind of hospital that's there nothing in collusion at all, but it does kind of render competition irrelevant um, and sets pricing the way that they want to in terms of a customer base that is not seeing the increase in their incomes and their annual revenues, yet there's a massive increase in healthcare spend. So yes, the merger acquisition makes perfect sense. Well, I think it continues as long as the economy stays the same, it will, and cash is cheap. But I think what we're going to see is a detriment to to the consumers and everyday patients. Anytime there's a merger acquisition, you go through a reshuffle, reorg, and something falls through the cracks. And especially when we already have a lot of care falling through the cracks and a lot of cost associated with transitions and lack of care or fall off. You're seeing mergers and acquisitions. It's not anything that we're going to to have an effect on in the next two years, but when those start taking place, you're going to see networks much stronger. You're going to see competition that will be less, which is not uh, advantageous to consumers, to patients, to family members, um, and I think that that's a growing problem. Yeah, so we're going to have to wait a little bit down the line and see where that goes. (laughs) 
So you, uh, you've been to a lot of our assemblies, but you were most recently at our healthcare providers transformation assembly. What were some of your key takeaways from that? You were with the CIOs of the top systems and what were some of the takeaways? Yeah. I mean, the challenges, I've been saying this for a while and a lot of us uh, associated with kind of transformation and innovation in healthcare have been saying this for a while is that what we're solving for on the payer side is almost identical to what we're solving for on the provider side. No one is talking to each other, though. That's the challenge. There's maybe one entryway uh, and bridge between a payer and provider, and that's in contracting, and that's not a very stable bridge. It's uh, a little bit dangerous. It's a little rickety, (laughs) and it can go at any time. So I've heard it be compared to a street fight in terms of negotiating between payer and providers. So (laughs) it's not the best inroads for saying, hey, that was great. Let's collaborate now. Um, So... What that takeaway for me is that they are focused on disease burdens. They're getting very specific and even isolating to COPD and, and sleep apnea. It's not just diabetes prevention. It's not just oncology. It's not your, your top two or three in terms of spend. So that was very refreshing to focus. If we and, and I agree with that. If you're going to be driving transformation and innovation, it has to be at a granular level. You have to get specific. It needs to be a sample size that's big enough, but it's healthcare, so we'll be able to find that. Mm-hmm. But I think if we focus on specifics, such as COPD or wound care or behavioral health. We've had tremendous success with Valera and behavioral health um, implementing with with payers and providers. And that's been one of the solutions in in my healthcare career that I've seen that is applicable to both as is. And that is something that's very rare. So to see that feedback coming from the C-suites on the provider conference was very energizing. And in fact, I think that people that are in the payer space or the pharma or even med tech or retail, should actually branch out and go to these conferences. It is a great way to learn as fast as you can and get up to speed rather than, I know it took me a good three, four years to coming into healthcare to really understand employers and payers. But for the provider side, the conference was tremendous in terms of the takeaways and understanding straight from the horse's mouth rather than speculating, right? There's a lot of content that's out there that's written by people that are not at the institutions, and it's just such an amazing way to get that kind of behind the scene look of what's going on. And the people that are there are consummate professionals. And so the questions that you ask them, they are they returned with a very insightful response. And I'm, and I'm truly appreciative of that. Now, you had mentioned uh, pharma. And so I'm curious how that is now getting intertwined into the collaboration. Payer, provider, pharma, what are we looking at here? <laughs> yeah, payer, provider, pharma, consumer, employer, care manager, and retail. If you look at the Yikes. essential stakeholders, it is, it is. You know, in a inelastic market too, so it's it's very difficult for for kind of one entity to be able to impose their will upon an ecosystem, and I think that's more it's imperative now more than ever for us to talk to these people. So, how does pharma come into the mix? Well, pharma has the most robust clinical data set in the ecosystem, yet we don't look at it. And every, not every pharma company, but the majority of pharma companies have behavioral scientists as full-time employees. They have resources and information that we absolutely need that can help us expedite these challenges, inefficiencies, waste, and unnecessary care, yet we haven't been able to bring them in the fold. And a lot of it has to do with, again, not knowing anyone there, to regulation and compliance. But as that's easing a little bit in Washington and at the state level, they're starting to realize that too. So there is the ability to collaborate with them in terms of the disease itself, no one knows more about it than, than the pharma company that did the research and development and spent billions of dollars. 
and yet we're sitting there willing to just kind of push that aside and say, eh, it's not worth it. That's mm-hmm. absolutely worth it when you present it that way. And that's why they were able to get a seat at the table. And the same value proposition for pharma being at the table is the same for med tech, is what is that bargaining chip that they have? What is it that we need to negotiate with them? Not in terms of reimbursement, but in terms of, do they want a data set, right? Do they want press releases? Do they want full partnerships and logos? I mean, there's certain things that the pharma pharma companies want there's certain things that med tech companies want and we have to be able to kind of dole those out and and there's a lot of payers and and hospitals as long as it stays within the compliance uh, and regulations are are absolutely willing to get at the table sure well you're obviously such a wealth of knowledge and we're very excited for you you, um, to be a part of our advisory board so what kind of excites you about being a part of this board and a part of the Millennium Alliance in general well the energy is first and foremost i mean when i come to the conferences it is it's not a laid-back casual type of thing it is very rigorous because we're there to learn it's a lot of fun but at the same time there's structure to it and and the energy is just very infectious so that's one that i i really appreciate about it but two i've always come out from every session either gaining something new or being reminded of something that I've forgotten um, that can be applied. And and it's just the quality of the speakers that are there. I've been to, I don't know how many, five, six or seven of them. They've been, all of them have been spectacular, but I rarely see the same people there too, which is just such a new perspective as well as amazing opportunities to collaborate or for business development. That's, that's been something. The, The range of people, I think, on the advisory board is is something that's very appealing to me. To be able to get outside, I've had my head down and kind of tunnel vision in healthcare, which is so many opportunities in $3.4 trillion annual industry Mm. that I I almost forget that the most powerful things that we've been able to quantify and execute on has been taking an idea from a different sector and a different industry. Retail's a great example if we're going toward consumerism, right? What are they losing as either analytics or as hospitality? What are they doing for customer retention, engagement, loyalty programs? I mean, these are amazing attributes of proven programs in different sectors that we can actually take from. So I'm very excited about engaging with just a diverse group of people on the advisory board and picking their brains and maybe stealing their ideas. Well, you mentioned retail, so I have to ask now. Raul has a very deep relationship with Columbia, and I I just discovered he's launching a shoe. So... Yes. What tell us about this new retail giant that you're going into? Yeah, it was all of this started on accident. I took a free walking tour in Medellin, Colombia a little over a year ago, and the person who gave me the tour was a 20-year-old resident of one of the most dangerous neighborhoods in Colombia in Medellin and the murder capital of the world from the 80s and 90s. And it didn't hit me until about halfway through the tour that he grew up there. I thought it was a college student giving me background on on Medellin and the the challenges and war going on there with the the drug cartels and the narcos. And I was just blown away by this 20-year-old who taught himself English by watching cartoons and taking notes on a notepad. Just so enterprising that I was like, uh, if I could replicate him in the startup world, we would have... Six unicorns, right? I mean, so I just kind of stayed uh, in touch and mentored and went back. Uh, I've been back five times now. And every time there has been something that's been revealed to me. And one of them was uh, we had the opportunity to buy a garment factory. And so we bought that and gave it to his mom to run. So woman-owned operation in, in Colombia. And then that led to let's design a shoe. Who can we you know, get to make it? And we found out that we can actually own the factory. So we did, and we staffed Why it. Why not? And it was, all a matter, yeah, it was all a matter of just being able to have the, the trusted boots on the ground and leading with blind faith and seeing just amazing souls that 
I mean, here there's every excuse in the book, and there it's every excuse in the book to do something. You know, it's a matter of them wanting to do things and having that guidance and then just giving them a sliver of opportunity. And so never would I thought going into, you know, 2019 that I would be launching a shoe, that we would be launching a shoe on September 27th. But it's just a matter of that innovation process. If you get started, you start acting. You might not know what the road is, but that road will always reveal itself when it needs to before you run out of space. And that's what this has done. And, you know, now we got a chance to we own 30 hectares in, in the rainforest and we get to start exploring sustainable farming and, and some new um, materials, organic materials that we're going to try to make from bamboo and beech nut and rubber tree plants and wow. just kind of expand from there. But it goes down to that heart and core of the people are everything. If, uh, you know, the saying is that stra- uh, culture eats strategy for breakfast. And it's very, very true. And I'm learning that every day since this Columbia venture has gone through. So wow. It's, been pretty it's cool. amazing where innovation in healthcare can lead you. That's absolutely <laughs> right. Yes, there is. Uh, I'm not saying life after healthcare because I'm still in yeah. it. But it really goes back to that trust, that blind faith of going forward of how many times people have said you're going to get ripped off and these people aren't going to do anything. And it was like, you can get a gut feeling. But when I first went down to Columbia, I thought, well, what am I good at? I'm good at healthcare innovation. And maybe we set up a, a telemedicine system for the barrio down in, in Medellin and Communa 13. That's a massive lift. And I don't have the right to do that because I don't have their trust. But being able to apply the economic stability for these people, for the underserved that are so willing to do whatever, we've gained that trust. Now is the opportunity for us to go in and say, what can we do to make sure that we can get a clinic here? What can we do? What are your everyday needs? that trust has been established, we can actually address the social issues. Sure. So we'll see where it goes from here. We'll see. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking (laughs) forward to it. Thank you so much for being here. And we're looking forward to hearing more from you. Yes, thank you. (laughs) And I look forward to seeing all of you in in December, I think, right? Yeah. See you then. See you then. Thanks so much for tuning in. Make sure to listen and subscribe to our podcast exclusively on iTunes and SoundCloud to get the inside scoop from top execs in the world of digital transformation. Head on over to mill-all.com for more information.